Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Holistic Finance. I am Ryan Burklow. And I'm Alex Collins. And on today's episode, we're going to talk about dimensions of return. Now, I'm sure some of you are like, what in the heck does dimensions of return mean? <laughs> so we're, we're really going to break down where return is coming from inside of your investments, right? And, and what a typical portfolio may invest in. We're going to keep it simple. And the, the whole purpose of today's episode is hopefully to get you to engage more from uh, in your own lo- in your own personal finances on the investment side of things. We understand that your practice is your baby. We understand that that may be a huge piece of of the assets that you're building. Well, and whether you're growing an enterprise practice or a lifestyle practice, we do need to have some amount of dollars being built. Uh, outside of your practice. Exactly. And so many of you have reached out to us and, and you said, look, I want to start a retirement plan or an investment plan. I just don't know where to start, which is why we started this series around intro to investing. So if you if you have not checked out the previous two episodes, intro to investing and rules of investing, we would advise you to listen to those first so stop listening to this and go back to those. If you have listened to those, let's move forward and let's get, give you a little bit more details on today's episode. So let, let's jump right into it here, Alex. So, you know, we, we've spoken high level around stocks versus bonds, right? So that's what makes up our portfolio. And what we explained in the last episode was stocks is where the, the return comes from. Mm-hmm. Bonds are what levels or keeps the volatility of your portfolio down or should in theory. Right. And and so let's dive into the bond side of that equation um, to to discuss, okay, how do we go about using bonds as that stability creator to to reduce down the volatility or reduce down the, the fluctuations inside of your portfolio? Inside of bonds, there's really kind of two different components that we care about. One is the the length of time that that bond is going to exist. So there's two measures of this. One is called maturity, how long until that bond matures. The other is duration, how long until we receive our money back from that bond. So that's the first component. And the second component is quality. Are we looking for something that is high quality or something that is high yield. So high quality, very stable. We're going to get less of a a rate of return, but there's much less risk of default. High yield, we're trading potential risk of default for a higher interest rate or a higher coupon rate, more dollars back from our investment. Now, with both of these things, when we go back to our concept of what do we want bonds to do in our portfolio, create stability, then we're going to have a strong preference for high quality because that creates more stability and reduces down the volatility more. On the time component, there's really two ways to think about this. The first is if we're investing for a specific time period, like we need money in five years to buy a building or to do something specific, then we would likely want to match the time horizon with 
the actual bonds that we're investing in and invest in individual bonds. And that there's some specific reasons we're not going to get into that. If that's your situation, give us a call. Let's have the conversation. Outside of that, if we're just investing and we want to reduce down volatility and we don't have a definitive time horizon or we've got a varied time horizon like retirement, then we're going to have a strong preference for short duration. The reason being is that there is much less exposure to a change in interest rates. And if we think about this, this is fairly intuitive. If we lock in an interest rate for a long period of time, a move in interest rates is going to dramatically affect that because we've locked that change in for a long period of time. Whereas if it's a short time period, we get to reinvest those dollars back into whatever the new interest rate is, whether it's higher or lower. Now, when we look at today's environment, we're in an extremely low interest rate environment and therefore short term becomes even more critical and more desirable right now. Yeah, just as a reminder, interest rates and bond prices work in inverse relationship, meaning as interest rates go up, that means the bond price goes down. It's, so, it's crit- that's critical to thinking about this. Right. That's what Alice is talking about around we're in a low interest rate environment. So if that interest rate starts to go up and you've locked in that long term bond, that means that bond price is going to have higher volatility and it's going to, it's going to decrease sharply. Yeah, we've, we've locked in a lower interest rate for a long period of time. So that's the bond component of, of the portfolios, right? So let, let's talk about stocks, right? And there's a lot in the conversation <laughs> around stocks. And so we are going to keep this very high level. Um, and we're going to start with like U.S. stocks versus international stocks, Right. We live in the United States, right? United States is a obviously a very powerful country. We have some of the best companies in the world. Um, well, and some of the largest companies in the world. The, the majority yeah. of the value of companies is actually domiciled here in the U.S. Exactly. Now, the world has also grown up as well. And so there are major companies that are outside of the U.S., and so it used to be, you know, in, in the 20s, 30s, 40s, right? It, it was, you're probably only investing in the United States. Yeah. For one, it was challenging to buy stock in companies abroad. Now it's easier. It's the information is, is easily, easily gotten, right? So we, and the world is growing up. So why wouldn't we want to have some exposure internationally for that reason. And, you know, I'm, I'm hearing my own father in this conversation <laughs> because well, it's actually not my father, it's my mother. And she's like, well, I don't want to be invested in X country because of what's happening. Right. And I think what she hears when people, when she hears people like us, advisors talk about international exposure, she's hearing us take like half of her money and dropping it into a country that might be in war right now. And that's not at all what we're talking about here. We're talking about um, of the component of stocks, which is likely not 100%. We're only talking about a fraction of that that component being invested across all of the other nations, not a particular country. So, you know, for for those folks that, that think like your mom, like 
let's have further conversation and understand what your concerns are so that we can make sure that you understand the ramifications and address it. And also like the negative ramifications of just simply ignoring international investing. Yeah. There's two sides of that coin, which is important. And we're not like, we're still going to be heavily, heavily invested in the United States. This isn't something we're saying, let's take a large portion of your money and throw it at another country. We're not saying that. Correct. So that takes us to the size of the company, right? So we already mentioned the United States has the biggest, largest companies right in the world. So there's large companies and there's small companies, right? And each side of each company, like large, like size of the company has different risk profiles, and what's assigned with that risk profile is the opportunity for rate of return. Yeah, and like we covered this in the past, but it's worth repeating real quickly here. A small company, when talking about investing in a publicly traded company, is a company worth $2 billion or less. So yeah. this isn't a, like the definition of small is probably different than what you're thinking. This isn't Billy Bob's handyman store down the road. Correct. If you're named Billy Bob, I apologize. <laughs> For lots of reasons. <laughs> so, so let's talk about this, right? So the first things first, right? Most people have heard of Amazon, Facebook, Google, Microsoft, like Apple. These are some of the largest United States companies out there. And I think a lot of people associate that with return. And lately it's, those companies have done phenomenally. It's not that they don't produce a return. That's not what I'm saying. But where did that return really come from? So let's stop and think about this for a second. When Apple came out with the iPod, was it selling at the, the price point that it's selling today? And was it as big? Right. And so when we like, really, what, what, let's, take a brief step back and talk about where stock returns come from. Mm. Ultimately it comes from the growth of the revenue of that company. And so like one of the, the questions has to become, okay, do large companies have more growth opportunity than small companies? And in general, the answer is no, because like, okay, how much more market share can say Microsoft gain? Like it already has a massive market share. And so unless the market itself grows and they get the same percentage or more, their revenue is going to stay relatively the same. That's not to say it's a bad company or that there aren't growth opportunities, but the growth opportunities for large companies may not be as big as they are for small companies. Now, small companies are much more likely to fail. Yes, and therefore, there is more risk, but we're, there's also a larger potential for return. And so we have to understand that trade-off and how, how these different companies are going to work in different economic environments. And the and point that of us going... Not, that's not for today's conversation. Right. And the point of us going through this large versus small is... The, the understanding of where the opportunity of rate of return and risk really lies 
And we're not saying to put all of your money in small. We're not saying to put all of your money in large. What we are saying is understanding the difference and have money in both for the opportunity there. When creating a, a mixed, like by, by creating a diversified mixed portfolio, we create a better expectation of return, not knowing what the future market conditions are going to be. Absolutely. And also we're creating the likelihood of you holding to the strategy as well. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, so we've got large versus small. Let's talk about the next step, right? So there's value companies and there's growth companies, which I'm sure both people listening right now, they're like, what in the world are you talking about? Value versus growth. So value versus growth is really talking about um, a technical component of the stock. We're, we're not going to get into that today from a broad standpoint. The question is, is the value of the company, the stock price, closer to the underlying value of the assets or is it a larger multiple of the underlying assets meaning that we're expecting there to be significant growth in that company. That would be an example of a growth company where the value of the stock is close to the underlying assets. That's an example of a value company. Now, historically, value has outperformed growth. Over the last five to 10 years, we have seen the opposite. In the last six to eight months, we've seen a shift where value is starting to outperform. The future is uncertain. Our goal with this conversation is to look at it and say, okay, where do we expect to get more rate of return in the future? And we want to own both categories. And that's a huge piece because of everything Alex just said, the difference between those, because you might have a decade like we just had where the growth companies have done really well, right? And then right now, value stocks are starting to do really well, right? And, and we're not trying to predict, and that's the key ingredient here. We're not playing the prediction game or what I would say the gambling game around, let's choose what we think is going to happen this year. Because as I always say, if someone could accurately choose what's going to happen every year, there'd be a statue of that person on Wall Street, not the bull. Yeah, 100%. I, what, what we're after is we're after the largest possible rate of return, given the amount of volatility that you are willing to accept or the, the likelihood of loss. And we're also after trying to make the most certain outcome. So there's a couple different ways that we can potentially improve somebody's portfolio. It's one, increasing the potential rate of return, two, decreasing the amount of risk that we're taking, three, increasing the certainty of achieving our results, or four, reducing down the potential tax consequences. Today, we're not going to address number four at all. So that's the difference between value and growth. There's one more piece that we, we always like to talk about, and it's kind of a no-brainer, yet it's often forgotten about for whatever reason when we're 
looking at investments. And that's profitability, Alex. Yeah. It, in all of our investments, we screen for profitability. Um, and if two companies are exactly the same, we're going to choose the company that is more profitable all the time. Which, again, sounds like a no-brainer, yet when people are looking at investing, they're constantly saying, well, what's, ha- what's happening right now? And if X company is doing really, really well now, they skip over that profitability aspect and they jump towards that rate of return. It's kind of like, what have you done for me lately mentality? Yeah, and to, to be clear, we're talking about the profitability of the company, yes, not the return of the stock. So that's just another piece that you want to make sure that you're looking at because obviously profitability of a company is kind of important for that company to stay in business. Yeah, absolutely. And lastly, there's this broad category called alternatives, um, real estate, cash, uh, derivatives, futures, forwards, options, all of those things fall into this category. Um, yes, it is depending upon how big the portfolio is. Um, and what your circumstances are, we will absolutely take these things into a, account. Um, not for today's conversation. It, it's too far down the rabbit hole. If that is of interest, uh, reach out to Ryan, reach out to myself, and, and we'll have an individual conversation around alternatives. Look, the main point we're trying to get across here is A, understanding, you know, I'm sure you hear the media heads out there talking about X and you know this type of asset class is doing really really well, and they'll have some fancy jargon out there that that tries to convince you that you should put your money there, right? And what we want you to understand is you're you're investing long term, right? Because even if you're retiring today, unless you're taking all of that money out and cashing, you still might have thirty plus years of your money still be invested in the market. So you're never, for the most part, investing for the short duration. You're investing long-term. And over the long-term, you wanna make sure that you've got the opportunity to capture what the market provides rather than trying to predict what the market may do. And even if we get to the point where we've got a short-term time horizon, we're still gonna want a component of our portfolio invested in the market. And yes, we're going to want much more stability if our time horizon is five years or 10 years. And yep. five or 10 years from exhausting those funds or ne- like needing 100% of those funds, not five or t- 10 years from retirement, which then we're going to need those funds over a 20 to 40 year time period. Absolutely. So all of this to say, that takes us to the question of the day, Alex. Yeah, our question today is, what is stopping you from investing? So head over to holistic-finance.com and at the bottom of that page, you can either answer our question or if you have different ideas that are coming up that you want us to talk about, feel free to reach us out to us there. Uh, we've had several of you reach out to us uh, as of late with different questions and we appreciate that. We're, we're here to be a resource for you, right? As we say almost in every episode, like our mission around this podcast is to give you information so that you can thrive and help your patients. And if you're not succeeding financially, it's very hard to do. So that's what we're here for. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. And as always, Mr. Collins. Make it a great day. 
This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or Quantified Financial Partners, and opinions stated are their own. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. Ryan and Alex are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. OSJ 333 North Indian Hill Boulevard, Claremont, California, 91711. Telephone 909-399-1100. Securities products and advisory services offered through Park Avenue Securities, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. Park Avenue Securities is a fully owned subsidiary of Guardian. Quantified Financial Partners is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. Ryan Burklow, AR Insurance License Number 1531912, CA Insurance License Number 0K24924, Alexander Collins, AR Insurance License Number 7264699, CA Insurance License Number 0H24806, Pinpoint Number 2021-122434, Expiration June 2023.